Ah, greetings, traveler. Settle by the hearth and let me tell ye a tale of magical miscreants, grim tidings, and one very powerful ape. It's called Oops of Necromancers. <laughs> Welcome to the table, everybody. I am your great and powerful Dungeon Master, Oz, and this is the inaugural episode of Oops! All Necromancers. Yay! In this Yay. episode, we're going to introduce ourselves, lay out what the world is like, describe our player characters, and lay out some of the themes and content you can expect from us. So to start things off, let's go around the table and introduce ourselves before we get into the setting. Let's start with Bug. Hi, I'm Bug. I use they, them pronouns, and um, this is kind of one of my first dives into D&D. Um, I listen to a lot of D&D podcasts, though, so I'm really excited to play and explore the world. Um, yeah, I think it'll be really fun. Hmm. Hell yeah. Get into Next some bullshit. Is... C. Hi, uh, I am C. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I used to play uh, D&D and a little bit of Pathfinder in high school. Um, but back then, I really didn't have the chance to um, kind of immerse myself in it and get really into the RP aspects of things. Uh, so with this podcast, I'm really looking forward to exploring um, the characters, really trying to get into it and immerse myself into everything for sure for sure and finally brie hey i'm brie um i clawed my way from the void to be here i have a pretty fair amount of tabletop um gaming experience um oz and i have both played uh first edition pathfinder for quite some time um, I, we have some experience with 5th Ed D&D and some experience with a few other um, tabletop role-playing games like the Iron Kingdoms RPG and, and things like that. Um, tabletop games are wonderful and fun and cool, and I'm very, very excited to enter the world that Oz has crafted for us and to get into some bullshit and also... Uh, introduce some some fresh new players into the wonder that is D and D. Yeah, hell yeah. So let's get into it. Hold on a minute. Um, I forgot that I have a little shtick I want to put in here uh, before we get into the uh, world building of the episode. I am going to be doing the um, editing and the sound design for the podcast and. So as we get into the world building of this, I, I kind of wanted to lay the scene, make a little bit of an environment for us. Of course. Go ahead. Ooh. So right here, I'm going to uh, bring in a little bit of uh, nature sounds, ah. make a little ASMR, Ooh. make some little nature sounds, maybe some, some crickets, maybe. And, and here, right here, I'm going to... To start a little fire, it's a little campfire oh, for us nice. to sit around and mm -hmm. and speak our tales over, 
And um, yes, uh, we can proceed with the world building. So let's go ahead and start with a little bit about the world we'll be telling our story in. Um, it is called Tethmir, and what's the best way to go about this? Maybe start large and work our way in, mm-hmm. go from just sort of the basis of the planar system worlds kind of deal and work towards you guys. So uh, the three main sort of celestial forces or I guess infernal or general deity level powers are uh, the gods, which are sort of rarely contacted. They're distant and aloof. Uh, They don't really manifest on Tethmir anymore. And worship of them is, I would say, more common than... Uh, the other entities we'll speak about other than one, but it's not a thing of like your typical fantasy of where you, you know, you're a cleric of this God and you talk to this God or their representatives and they guide you on what to do. Mm -hmm. It's just like, Oh, Hey, that's the God of war. Maybe say a blessing for this God of war is just like a traditional thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's like I said, they're not really in contact with people anymore. And as far as like, a manifestation showing up on Tethmir is almost unheard of at this point. You know, with degradation of historical records and stuff, I think we'll maybe hear about them in name, but they won't really come up as a big thing. And it hasn't really played into your guys' characters, because uh, obviously we've done some sort of back and forth about building them as characters. Mm-hmm. But they are one of the three main celestial forces kind of deal. Uh, the other are the Dukes of Infernus, which, if any of the listeners are familiar with, well, the Dukes of Hell from uh, just 5th edition Pathfinder, they are similar. Uh, I have pared it down to six of them, and they are a bit more active in that, like, it, it's super easy to gain power as a warlock, right? In comparison to being a wizard or that sort of thing, where it's just like, yeah, I just make a cool contract, and then I can shoot fire from my ass or whatever, right? <laughs> so, they are, Sign your name in my book. They are a uh, sort of main force behind the city of Helvetir, which will be one of our focuses in the story, and I'll get to that in a little bit, uh, and that they have actual physical representatives on Tethmir who are doing some like nation changing if not world changing shit and that they kind of control the city of Helotir which is like this massive city state right mm-hmm. and then the final sort of power in this triumvirate or whatever is the endless spiral which is not only a god but also kind of a, a law of nature in a plane it, it is sort of your analog to the astral plane and that it is where you go when you die if you're not already sworn to one of these gods or one of the dukes is you go to the spiral and then your soul or astral form or whatever travels along the spiral and then is reincarnated either as a higher being or whatever or lesser being, what you know, that kind of deal. It's kind of reincarnation, but... This is sort of the basis of the world working. I mean, if the endless spiral were gone or whatever, people would just die, and then if they're not sworn to a god, well, they're gone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then is it kind of like a, of, a roll of the dice kind of thing? Yeah, it is not sort of a thing where the endless spiral is like a dude who judges you. Like mm-hmm. we don't have any sort of god of the underworld anubis type thing going on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just sort of 
an entity and like there are or were clerics to it because like your life clerics and your death clerics would worship this because well it is the fundamental force of the world and the planar system as a whole that moves you about but you could end up going from like uh i don't know like a king who rules over an entire empire and then resurrecting as like an ant there is a lot of ways in which the endless spiral comes into play and then it, that it doesn't like ghosts are still a thing and what have you but it all depends on well a lot of factors you know yeah mm -hmm. um but those are sort of the celestial entities um as far as the world itself or now we'll go planar system first so the planar system is pretty similar to like base 5e and that you have your planes of air fire water earth whatever so those still exist um i have sort of taken a more personal spin on both the feywilds or like a fey realm or the first world if you're familiar with pathfinders galarian that kind of thing uh which i refer to as the fan it's just sort of a realm that like the first world from pathfinder was sort of a copy of Tethmir when it was pure, i.e. there wasn't really the interaction of civilization on it or the effects of civilized peoples doing things or whatever, um, but has just sort of diverged extremely in the way that nature has been allowed to take its course. And, of course, there's some weird time bullshit where time passes quicker in the Feyen or slower, that kind of deal. But it, essentially, it's it's like the Feywilds. Sick. Uh, so, yeah, we have the fan, and then we have its sort of dark sibling. Essentially, the Shadowfell from base, like, sort of 5e stuff, if you're familiar with that, uh, called the Shadowhaim, which is a sort of murky realm where the forces of darkness, both literal and figurative, rule. Uh, the gods have their own realms, which, once again, if we get to them, we'll discuss those a bit more, maybe as... Uh, future content, we'll talk a bit more about the gods and their realms. Uh, and the dukes share the multi-layered realm of Infernus, which is, once again, fairly similar to the base, like, sort of hells. Uh, but I've pared it down a little bit just because less devils to remember. Um, mm -hmm. And then the Endless Spiral is sort of a realm of its own. Like I said, it's sort of your analog for the astral plane, uh, that kind of thing. Uh I had a bit mm -hmm. of a question about the uh, some stuff we had talked about yep, uh, about the the, too, yeah. the dimensions and stuff. Um, uh -huh. We had mentioned that there's like kind of places that certain ones overlap. Is that still the case? Yeah. So it is a thing of there was we'll say an event about uh, 13 years, 14 years before the setting of uh, where we'll be starting the game. Uh, that has caused the planar boundaries to sort of weaken. Mm -hmm. And so Ooh. that's obviously been, you know, like a big boon for anyone who's dealing with Infernus because, oh, hey, it's easier to contact people or people, devils, from Infernus and stuff like that. Uh, but it has also caused sort of a overlapping of like in Nathraxil, uh, which is one of the other countries that we'll get to in just a moment here. Uh, it sort of overlaps with the Shadowhaim, right? So mm -hmm. we have, you know, entities from Nathraxil, whether it's a good old-fashioned vampire or, like, just an eldritch horror uh, sort of crossing into this realm and 
the overlapping of the planes uh, and intersecting has been becoming a bit more frequent, uh, mm. which is definitely going to play a bit more into the story uh, later on. Um, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That is that is something that uh, I had forgot to mention. Um, Sorry, I was. Are we talking like loaf of bread planar arrangement? I I don't know that I follow. Do you mean like a sandwich? Uh, yeah, but like loaf of bread turned on its side. Like there's all the different slices all smooched together. Like the so like a sandwich. Yes, because our planar system is a, is our well, planar system like a sandwich. So it'd be more like a sandwich. Yeah. It's, sure, you can say a sandwich, but also um, the meat and cheese are clipping through each other and just doing that sort of juddery thing. Oh, delicious. Sure, you could say that. Okay. A sandwich, but it's kind of like glitching out. It's a it's a real fucked up sandwich. It's a real messed up deal. Delicious. But anyway, to to get back from that tangent, um, the setting as a whole is fairly similar to the Victorian era. So our level of technology is like gas lamps and steam power, but it is more based around Magitech and just in general, like like I mentioned with Helveteer, they have a lot of intersection with um, the denizens of Infernus. So it might be that your gas lamps are powered by Hellflame or whatever. So yes, unfortunately, this is a vaguely steampunk podcast. <laughs> I am sorry and so are you, but that's okay. It's a cool design aesthetic sometimes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it is more due to the fact of uh, this world having sort of standardized schools of magic. Your wizard is no longer learning from a different wizard who lives in a tower, who has his specific tome or her specific tome or their specific tome. It is literally like, oh yeah, I'm going to Magic 101. I learned Prestidigitation the other day. Um, and as such, uh, wizards, artificers, warlocks, that sort of thing are far more prevalent uh it's kind of a high magic setting uh which is just a personal preference for me and it's sort of fun more fun to play around in right because mm -hmm. <laughs> like i love a sword and sorcery story but there's not a lot of substance to it mm -hmm. you know it, it's not good radio i like um, having spicy magic fingers yeah mm. right and plus, then you guys can do cool shit with magic and i can go i guess and throw my hands up in the air um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a general overview of the setting. Uh, as far as countries and that sort of thing, uh, I think most of our focus will probably be on the city-state of Helvetir, which is like this massive, not quite mega city, but think like uh, Waterdeep if you're familiar with that, or uh, Cheliax is probably a closer analog. For those of us, us not familiar with any kind of fantasy, like uh, shit, um, um, like Chicago, maybe, or is, is well, that? Chicago is not a massive ringed city state. Well, I know, not but yet, like the, anyway. The, but maybe uh, the size of it. I don't think it's it? Chicago level size. Maybe okay. think like 1900s New York. Okay. Or, yeah, or yeah. London. Yeah. Okay, London okay. is a better example, and that it has just sort of grown and grown. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the idea here um, is that it started maybe with just the central part of this city, uh, which is like the Abyss Inspire or whatever. And then as it has grown, much like 
city's used to and kind of thing is that it started with this central sort of keep and mm-hmm. then spread mm-hmm. outwards, but this is on a grander scale. Yeah. It is a thing where there are millions of people living in this massive city where it's like, oh, yeah, it's like half a day's travel across the city. Okay. That kind of level. Gotcha. Um, and then th- the city-state of Helvetir is both the city of Helvetir and then the surrounding lands where it's like farmlands and they might have smaller villages, but anybody who's going to be anybody is going to be in the city of Helvetir. I mean, it has complete control over this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of reason for the power of Helvetir and how it's grown so large is that the ruling council, which is uh, made up of six members that coincide with the Dukes of Infernus, uh, including the Archduke Asmodeus, are essentially direct representatives of these Dukes of Hell or Dukes of Infernus. And so with the power gain from that, whether it's having servants of like imps and various other larger devils, or just generally having that sort of literally the forces of Infernus behind you. They've been able to grow this city um, and keep complete control over it through extensive spy networks and stuff. Um, so we're going to start in Helvetir, uh, and then another major power player in the world of Tethmir is the country of Nathraxil, which borders Helvetir to the north, and they have sort of a massive rivalry but like i said because we're we're sort of doing this arcane arms race uh neither of them will directly try and take over the other because it's mutually assured destruction and Mm -hmm. nathraxil is more sort of wild than the lands of helvetir because like i said with helvetir you know they have this entire area like under control it is directly controlled by the Dukes, who then have their uh, direct inferiors keeping an eye on everything, you know, down to the barman in a tiny little town that's on the border of Helvetir. They know what's going on. They know the gossip in that bar, that kind of thing. Uh, Nathraxil is more of a almost quite literally old blood sort of place where, like, you might have this vampire and keep here, and he controls these lands, but then he reports to someone. Or at least Mm -hmm. he isn't trying to kill his neighbor. Yeah. So it is very much uh, a almost direct correspondence to like the Shadowhaim and that it's like, you know, your vampires, your werewolves, your Frankenstein's monsters, they're from Nathraxel. They're from the cold north. It's it's more of a gothic horror-esque feel compared to the more sort of like grim city living Victorian Victorian bullshit of you know, your neighbor's dying, but whatever, I'm going to go work in the factory for 12 hours mm-hmm. kind of thing. Is there, um, is there like an element of, like when you talk about like the cold north, I think a lot about like like Russia and like historically with wars and stuff there, like it's been hard for people to wage war on Russia because it's so damn cold and so like there's so, it's so, it's so huge, so wild. Is that kind of like... Oh, the element like it'd be hard to get an army in because not only are they dealing with the army of Nathraxil, but also like fucking werewolves coming in and right, yeah, and like yeah, okay. a bog you're just gonna get lost in forever. <laughs> yeah, right. And because of the a lot of the power is 
I guess, decentralized and that I mentioned, like, you know, this vampire count up in this keep or, you know, this necromancer or council of necromancers up in this mountain or whatever. It's a lot harder to take it because they don't really have to fight you. Like, sure, there's an Athraxi army mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, but the place is just tough. Like, yeah. like you mentioned, yeah, we can go through these woods, but also... The woods are going to try to kill us. The water's probably poisoned. There's a cult of werewolves. There's at least seven different witches in these massive woods. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bad time. <laughs> uh, so that's definitely a thing, and that there is both the benefit of their military, which, you know, they're used to their homeland. They grew up here. But there is also the thing of it just really sucks to try and invade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, Nithraxil is literally your movie monster land, uh, your gothic horror land, your Bloodborne-esque place. Mm-hmm. Um, we will for sure be going there uh, in the story, uh, which is not to say that, of course, I'm going to be railroading you guys, but it is just because of its importance in this world, cough, you probably cough. will end up going there. Don't you cough at me about railroading. I don't railroad my players. Unless you guys want to stand around for seven hours trying to shop, in which case I will (laughs) cause something to happen to make you do something, dear God. But inventory management. Yeah, well, we can do that either off camera or something. You got to be quicker about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll touch on a bit of the other lands, and then we can go ahead and jump into uh, characters. Uh, just real quick, to the west of Helvetir, where we're starting, is a place called Thielmeric's Expanse. It is named for, essentially, the deity of nature. Uh, it is a massive forest that goes all the way to the coasts of this continent. Um, it is a place where nature itself has an almost vested interest in the daily goings-on. Helvetir has definitely tried to encroach upon these... Uh, forests and the trees have fought back quite literally like some uh lord of the rings two towers bullshit someone (laughs) decided to set up an isengard and the trees fought back and there is no longer an isengard and they want to keep it that way um but yeah that is a place where potentially we'll go potentially we won't it is all up to where you guys sort of direct things because you know DD is a collaborative storytelling effort um, and then to the east is a place known as the Alab Wastes, which is just sort of a chaotic desert where there was some sort of world-shaking magical cataclysm thousands and thousands of years ago that just sort of blasted the land into this sort of irradiated hellscape uh, that just sort of, it warps the inhabitants there, it warps the travelers through it. I definitely didn't get major inspiration for Warhammer Fantasy Battle and it's Chaos Waste. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> and then a, another two sort of large areas are uh, two known roving dwarven mountains uh, in which Whoa. it is a sort of mega city idea, kind of like Helvetir, um, which is predominantly dwarves within these mountains that actually move around the world. Uh, one is Kazak Alt, which is sort of a floating mountain. Uh, and then the other is Kozakili, 
which is a massive floating mountain fortress on the sea uh, mm. that just sort of roams the seas, or maybe they direct it. Unsure on that one. Sea dwarfs. This is like the sickest shit. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, once again, I'm sure there's specific influences that are coming out to people. Don't at me. I know what those influences are. Yes, that's what they are. Yes, my dwarves are different. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that is uh, the basis of the world of Tethmir. Um, I will call out right now that there was a specific resource I used uh, for both designing the world as a whole and sort of getting the feel uh, called the Grim Hollow Campaign Guide. It is by, I think it is Ghostfire Games. Uh, they have a lot of neat weapons, feats, rules, spells, that sort of thing, which have helped me sort of sort this. Um, I I don't think we'll get into a lot of what is in this campaign guide at first as far as items, but that is just because it would kill you, uh, which is great for me, but bad for the listeners and for you because then your characters are dead <laughs> and it's bad audio. Uh, but they have a bunch of different rules for as far as like taking mortal wounds and stuff like that that we'll definitely be looking at because I think that makes a more engaging story. You know, it's great to have your hero who never gets harmed and you never have to worry about their death and they're doing great, wonderful, epic things. You know, whatever, saving the universe. That's cool. I think it's also fun to explore how if you put an actual person into a fantasy setting, yeah. how that would go oh, as far sure. as, like, yeah. mm-hmm. injuries and shit. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to come out of that smelling like daisies, right? Yeah, and I I think that's kind of reflective, too, of the how we've talked about our characters, and maybe this will help us segue into it, that, like, the characters we're building are, are very much meant to be flawed. people. They're flawed. And Hugely they're, in some cases. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. I like that. I, I don't like playing uh, perfect characters. It's just, I don't know. I've I've done it before. I've definitely done my power fantasy, Mary Sue, Gary Stu, uh, super-powered character who's unharmable, and they're great, and everyone loves them, and that can be fun. But also, I played a dumb little shit wizard who tried to turn <laughs> a kobold into a fireball by worshipping Tiamat. So... <laughs> On that note, let's go ahead and get into your guys' characters, uh, since I have probably talked the listener's ear off at this point about my setting, because I'm very proud of it. So let's go ahead and start with you, Bree. Why don't you tell us a bit about your character? Yeah, will do. So I am very excited to introduce my character. Um, I am playing Soren Dahl. Um, I'm a level one hobgoblin wizard. Um, Wink. <laughs> Oink. Wink. Um, we are functionally <laughs> using the wizard class, um, but flavoring it pretty heavily, which will be made more apparent as the story progresses. Um, I used the alternate sort of heritage rules from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, so I'm starting with an, a different ability scores than a hobgoblin would normally have, and I also chose the observant feat. So that's, I'm pretty excited about that. And I also selected the Inheritor background, um, which I'm very, very excited about. It is thematically so cool and and gives 
not only Oz a bunch of cool stuff to work with, but also I feel like is going to be really fun for me to kind of play around with. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as description, um, Soren is in his early 30s. Um, looks like someone who probably used to be pretty fucking ripped like 10 years ago. <laughs> Would the term dad bod be accurate? <laughs> uh, no, not quite. <laughs> Okay. Well, now, now we can put it in the hashtag, so that's all we needed. You're welcome. <laughs> hashtag dad bod. <laughs> uh, please, the hashtag is daddy. Thank you. No! Continue. No! The cutting that can that. be cut. It's fine. <laughs> um, but um, pretty, I guess, pretty typical um, Hobgoblin sort of vibe, at least from the 5th edition stuff where they made them handsome, because why wouldn't I? Um. So definitely has red skin, sort of like this yellow, amber-colored eyes, um, shoulder, shoulder-length black hair, um, and like slightly oversized canines, since I couldn't decide if I liked them better on the top or the bottom. Uh, it's whatever you want. Maybe both. <laughs> um, he presents himself uh, very, very neatly, like almost upset, not quite obsessively neatly um and he wears like very well kept but often mended clothes probably mostly wool in in gray and black he has a pair of reading glasses on a chain around his neck those little circle ones um and on embroidered on his waistcoat is a um a heavily laden set of scales um, to denote his employee under the darkness of mammon. So a quick note on that, uh, use the term darkness mammon. Do you want to explain what that is or do you want me to explain? You're the world creator. I'll leave it to you. Okay. So the darknesses are these representatives of the, um, the Dukes of Infernus and specifically the darkness mammon is the representative of mammon who is the Duke of Trade. Uh, so that's why it's the the scales for the symbol. But yeah, from here on out, uh, it, at any point in the story, when you hear darkness blank, it is not referring directly to that duke. It is referring to their representative of the Council of the Six that rule Hev- Helvetir. So there's like the darkness mammon. Uh, the only difference in this trend is that the darkness for Asmodeus, the Archduke of Infernus, is referred to as the Abyssin. Uh, so anytime you hear that in reference to a location like the Abyssin Spire or what have you, that is referring to the actual ruler of Helotir. So, oh. Anyway, continue. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for the little aside. Makes a lot more sense now. Uh, he is currently situated in the city of Helvetir, um, basically as a, like, a low-level lackey accountant um, <laughs> under the darkness. Mammon, uh, Soren is tense, is probably <laughs> the best way to describe him. Um, he holds himself with like such good posture that it looks uncomfortable. Like when he walks, when he moves, he does things with like intent and focus but also as if he is ready to start running in the opposite direction in an instant <laughs> um he was uh born and spent 
his childhood and most of his like early adult life um, in a relatively small hamlet in the countryside of Nithraxel. So not a huge place. Um, so his current position in the city is not comfortable. I don't know. I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. Sweaty yeah. man scared of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaty Wonderful. not wizard. Got it. <laughs> so what he's doing here and what's going on is we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. about wraps everything up. Yeah, for sure. Ask Soren for you. Um, let's see. See. See, see, see. See, go ahead and go next. Yeah, so I am going to be playing Madame L, who is a half-elf and a spiritualist, a medium, and a holder of seances. Fancy. Uh, Functionally, what that means is, uh, well, she's a bard, and I'm going to be choosing the spiritualist bard college as we progress. Uh, I get to choose that at level three. Mm -hmm. Right now, I am basing this off the spiritualist unearthed arcana but probably by the time that this episode comes out spiritualist will probably be published in van richten's guide to ravenloft mm-hmm. so at the beginning of the campaign um i will be basing it off the unearthed arcana but slowly uh i will probably be kind of transitioning it into the the published uh material mm-hmm. yeah and the spiritualist um, in the unearthed arcana is is pretty cool. It's kind of like a, a chaos bard, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Kind of yeah. like uh, they just recently put it out in Tasha's Guide, but there's a wild magic barbarian that gets a similar thing where for your inspiration uh, in comparison to the, like their rage, you roll randomly and receive a benefit. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is flavored as like a a ghost or specter or whatever showing up and telling a story, which is wildly funny to think of a bard just being like, oh, yeah, come on, tell me a story to pump us up. (laughs) I really like that, though. I really liked that this is kind of different than a typical bard. Mm -hmm. Like like a a typical bard, usually you think of them as like playing a a song to encourage their allies or playing a drum or putting on some kind of musical performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being an unspeakably horny little bastard is usually (laughs) how it goes. (laughs) We don't don't do that here. Um, (laughs) But yeah... I like that this is kind of different, and it really adds a lot of flavor to it, uh, which is kind of what I'm here for. Spooky flavor. Uh, oh, I do love anything it. for the flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a... Uh, I think there's a lot of untapped potential with a bard uh, as far as what people are willing to play, because like you said, you kind of have this this view of bards as, oh, they have a loot, and they play a song, and they're horny, and they probably have a feather in their hat, and... Also, Though they're I still, good at I do have a, a feather in my hat, just so well, everyone is absolutely you clear. that one. <laughs> There's just got to be powerful hats. There simply must be. Yeah, it's Victorian era stuff. I'll get into that right now, actually, as far as her mm-hmm. description and such go. Uh, if you were to see Madame L about town, uh, you would see her moving about from place to place in lavish finery, uh, oftentimes with big extravagant hats with feathers in them and and veils covering her face. But if you were to see under those veils, you would know that she was a half-elf, 
um, who appears to be in her late 20s, but for a half-elf that is around 50 years old. And she has long braided auburn hair uh, done up in the, the most recent fashion, of course. If you were highborn, you would know that Madame L can be found at most balls or formal dinners. She is a uh, sought-after guest because she, she will speak of her spiritualist exploits. And it's kind of during a time period where the aristocrats are very enamored with spiritualism, um, kind of like the, the spiritualist uh, movement that we experienced back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, other than being found at, at balls or dinners, she is known to be found at the Green Fairy, which is a um, absence bar. Uh, it's very, um, very hip right now. All the rage. To get absolutely fucking trash owed. <laughs> hey, listen, in 10 years, we're going to discover a lot of them and shit's going to pop up. <laughs> oh, no. Other than that, not much is really known about Madame L. Um, or her mm-hmm. her family, where she's from, her, her lineage. I can see why she would, like, definitely be invited to these types of places. Because if nobody, like, if her origins and her family are a mystery, she's got, like, this whole air of, like, intrigue. And oh, she just yes, shows yeah. up on the scene. And she definitely... And everybody's like... She definitely leans into that. Uh, mm-hmm. As somebody who is probably making a lot of money off of her like spiritualist endeavors and her seances mm-hmm. and and contacting people's dearly beloved she uh, she stands to gain a lot by portraying herself as as this intriguing mysterious character yeah marketing <laughs> does she come off as like unapproachable yes yes, yes. <laughs> very it's very clear that she is a highborn uh, mm-hmm. aristocrat type person. Mm-hmm. She will not uh, typically uh, associate with with beggars, for example, or uh, accountants. Probably not accountants. No. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, kind of looks down her nose at at anyone who uh, doesn't immediately appear as. Um, as a highborn or doesn't appear well off or very clearly she has Mm -hmm. uh, lots of prejudices. So based on all this interacting with high society, that kind of thing, uh, you took the noble background, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So some interplay with your family will definitely uh, be coming up at some point, I'm sure. Um, And we'll learn a bit more about Madame L, who she is as a person and also whether she's actually a spiritualist or not. <laughs> cool, cool. So, Bug, why don't you tell us about your character? Yes. So, I am playing Finnegan, or Finny for short. Um, he's a 13-year-old satyr druid, and I gave him the urchin background. Um, later on, as I level up, I'm going to eventually do a circle of spores. Um we got a Finny. little rapscallion on our hands, mm-hmm. huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Finny's kind of, I mean, I guess kind of a just basic druid, you know? I just like, I like druids. They're cool. They're fun. 
<laughs> cool. Um, so Finny goes by he, him pronouns, but also will go by any other pronoun and doesn't really think about gender because, I mean, you'll find out why, but his upbringing, it just, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's a young boy trying to survive in a mega city that desperately wants to kill everyone. So Exactly. Not that he wants to kill everyone, but the city itself is um, not exactly hospitable to well to anyone <laughs> um but um so finney has uh like shaggy kind of curly black hair that goes um a little past his ears um speaking of his ears he does have uh big old goat ears mm. um <laughs> and he has like medium olive tone skin and big old gray ram horns um uh-huh. and he has black furry goat legs and um, those golden goat eyes with the sideways pupils. Um, oh, how good! <laughs> he wears an old, torn-up, like, white Victorian children's blouse and a dirty green uh, tartan kilt. Um, and around his neck, he wears a green stone necklace on a golden chain. Um, and around Helvetir, people think that he is a tiefling because satyrs are just not really prominent Mm. yeah satyrs are not super common in the area like uh maybe further west closer to thilmeric's expanse because it's more of a natural place uh they would be like oh you're a satyr compared to helvetir where it's like oh yeah tieflings are kind of a dime a dozen Mm -hmm. like you're dealing with hell forces all the time you just get tieflings. It mm-hmm. just happens sometimes. So they're like, man, that's one unfortunate tiefling because they ain't get the cool red skin or a forked tongue or anything like that. <laughs> but also they're kind of blessed. So that's cool. Yeah. And um, and Finny, Finny doesn't know he's a satyr, but he also doesn't think he's a tiefling either. He just doesn't really... He's very confused. Very confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was around like three years old... Um, came into this world from the Feyen, uh doesn't know how, um, and so that's why he doesn't know uh, really what a satyr even is. Um. <laughs> right, and that's also where his necklace comes from, right, is mm-hmm. that he basically yeah. he was a baby who got dropped out of a portal with a necklace and was lucky enough to not get torn apart by wolves or whatever. Pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. those city wolves. You, you know them city wolves. <laughs> well, he wasn't dropped off in the city or else he'd probably be in a military base somewhere, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and another very important thing about Finny is uh, he has a undead rat friend named Wallace. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Wallace is his brother. Correct? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're brothers. It, in an adoptive way, but, well, yeah. no, no, they, <laughs> no, actual real blood brothers. It's fine. <laughs> and um, Finny just kind of runs around the streets of Helvetir with the other urchin children. Um, he doesn't like stealing, but he kind of has to in order to survive, and um, he just does what needs to be done. He's a little, little sassy, little friendly little guy. A little scamp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he also um, will occasionally go to the Green Fairy as well to take refuge there. So 
Right, and we'll we'll get into that a bit more once we're actually uh, interacting with both the Green Fairy and its owner, uh, Matilda. Um, but yeah, that's it is sort of a place of refuge for people who are down on their luck, and Matilda is sort of a a nicer figure than you would expect for a tavern owner in a massive city that I will say once again just has portals to a hellscape around places. But yeah, we'll get on that a bit more with later episodes, but let's go ahead and talk just generally about, uh, I think, some of the themes and content that you can expect from us. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a DM, I generally get fairly descriptive and with, like, combat and things as far as more hyper-violent stuff, uh, which I think definitely is from being, you know, a big fan of, like, quote, grimdark stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if gore or descriptions of gore and violence and stuff is not your thing, just a heads up, I don't think I ever do it to the point of where it's like glorification or it Mm -hmm. drags on too long, but just a general heads up. um, There will be a lot of discussing of death and general horror themes Uh, Because that is the idea with this campaign is that we are looking at more horrific aspects of things, uh, dealing with ghosts and specters and spooky things. Uh, I I don't think it's going to be like, I don't know. I have a fairly large tolerance for horror, so I'm a bad sort of judge of that. But just something to keep in mind, once again, if it's not your thing, we're going to have goofs and stuff too. It's it's not going to be all sad and scary all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, we're definitely just, gonna get silly with it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Just a heads up, there will be body horror, but at the same time we'll probably be goofing on the body horror, mm-hmm. so yes. you know, it, it's not gonna be like I describe a corpse rotting for 72 hours to you or anything. <laughs> that would be a, uh, a feat. Yes, in of yeah. itself. <laughs> um, there will never be any sort of sexual violence or anything like that. I think that is a cheap route to horror. It will never occur. Uh, If for any reason any of that is insinuated, one, it should never be making it to the podcast anyway. Two, I assure you that is not my intent. Um, I, there is no place for it. There is Mm -hmm. no place for it in any of my stories. In realistically, there should be in no stories because it furthers nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. Yeah. So rest assured that will not be a thing. But there will be gore. There will be violence. Uh, there will be horror. Yeah, so and we, just we mentioned up. that uh, if there was ever an episode that had something that was like possibly, I don't know, like let's say like drug use or let's mm-hmm. say like an extra sort of gory description, we yes, would definitely put it in the, the description of that the episode. potentially triggering, we will put it in the description mm-hmm. Uh, as far as content warnings, because it's not fun to go into something that you're wanting to enjoy and then being hit with something that ruins your whole day, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yes. Probably everyone here has had an experience where you're just getting excited and like, ooh, let me engage with this content. And then it's like, oh, well, I wish you would have told me. There goes my day. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think it's it's very important to, to all of us to respect people's health and as much as we appreciate anyone who wants to engage with our podcast we want to t- 
to make sure that it's it's a comfortable environment and everybody knows what to expect and what to be prepared for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that about wraps the episode. Does anyone have anything else they want to add? Do we Are we able to plug social media right now, or do are we still trying to get that up and going? Yeah, if you want to connect with us on the internet, you can follow us at All Necromancers on Twitter or Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook at Oops All Necromancers. We're going to have a website. We just don't have that set up yet, so stay tuned for that. And if you want to contact me personally, Oz, uh, you can just send a raven, uh, whisper to a rock, and I'll get the message. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try to find me. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope that you'll stick around and check out what we got in store for you. Please join us for episode one. Yeah. Join us. Join us. Join us. (laughs) Ha, 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 